<laughs> this is good. This is good. So, welcome to everybody in person and welcome to everybody online. And tonight we're talking about enemies, best of enemies. And there's going to be a bit of a play on words. And, and, and uh, you know, Jake, you got us started tonight. You said you don't agree with what I said before. You don't agree with what Rabbeinu Bahaya says. <laughs> you don't understand what Rabbeinu Bahaya is saying is more like it. I didn't understand it either. I spent a lot of time trying to figure it out. I, I think I understand it now. And today's class, Best of Enemies, is really kind of part two in how we deal with detractors and adversaries. We all have them. Jealousy is an innate part of the human condition. And if you're successful, people are going to be jealous of you. And if you're not, well, then you're not. So that's not good either. <laughs> it's like, if you're successful, you have people jealous. If, if, you, if you feel like a loser, then you're just a loser. So like, uh, you're, kind of, you're kind of always going to be in a, in, a, in a tough spot. I guess this is the nature of Elam Hazar, of our world as we know it. I think the vast majority of people would prefer to be in a good spot, even if it means people are going to be jealous of you. And we will always be faced with some kind of confrontation. There's always going to be adversarial elements in our relationships. Some people you get along with, <laughs> and some people you don't. We look at the lives of our patriarchs. And they had a lot of confrontation, adversarial confrontation, violent confrontation, painful confrontation. And the same is true with the prophets, especially David HaMelech. So in this episode, we're going to be talking a lot about David HaMelech, about King David, because he kind of, he will by and large set the tone for us. And another very famous Holy Jew is Yosef, Yosef HaTzadik, a very holy man. He had a lot of adversarial confrontation with his own brothers. So these will be two of the greats from our pantheon of heroes that we're going to be leaning on tonight. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of just recap very briefly what we learned in the previous episode. I'm going to remind everybody that this is the 104th episode in Shara B'Tochem. We're not even halfway through. And if, if one wants to be able to live with B'Tochem, you have to take the long road. There are no shortcuts here. How do you eat an elephant? <laughs> one bite at a time. One piece at a time. So this is an elephant. It's, a, it's the endeavor of a lifetime. 
It really is. And in this episode, we're going to be looking at what happens not only when enemies or adversaries say things that are unkind or maybe frame us or cast us in a negative light, when they actually harm us. So do you turn the cheek? Is that a Jewish idea? Is, is, Gandhi's, is Gandhi's approach, is that, that the Torah approach? So let's see what Rabbeinu Bachaya tells us. And remember, Rabbeinu Bachaya is, this is the greatest of the great, one of the earliest Rishonim, and everything he says is culled from our sages, from the prophets, and it has been richly elaborated and clarified and elucidated by the subsequent sages, especially by the brilliant light of Hasidus. And we have the privilege of all this, so we're very fortunate. We have uh, a thousand years plus of Torah tradition on, on these words. In the previous episode, we talked about enemies saying not nice things. Rebbe Bachaya said that when you're dealing with adversaries, so the betochen way to deal with people who are jealous of you, or people are mevakshayra, so they actually seek your harm. So you put your trust in Hashem. <laughs> like, so they seek your harm. Who, who, who are they? What could they do? Hashem is in control. But what if they shame and embarrass, disgrace or undermine you? So he said then, Yisbel Chalpasam. You know, like kind of tolerate it. Tolerate the insults. Tolerate the, the unkindness. Don't, don't throw it back at them. So what should you do? Ben Abchai says something shocking. It's like almost, you almost choke on this. He says, he says, Yigmalim Chesed. This person embarrasses you and shames you and, and you're supposed to say, can I help you? <laughs> Is there anything I can do for you? Because, you know, clearly you're, you're not having a good day. You were just the recipient of his angst and his frustration, but you're going to be kind. And he said that, You do whatever you could. You're good. And you remember in your heart that that your benefit or your harm is never in their hands, but it's the Ad Habayr. We learned this in detail in the previous episode. I'm just going to share with you or reiterate that the Marpel and Nefesh says a good way to understand what he means when Rabbeinu Bachaya says that you should tolerate the insults. A, a good way to understand that is through the prism of what is stated by our sages in the Gemara and Mesechet Yuma. And I share this in the previous episode, I'm just going to very, very briefly share it because really, without part one, it's, it's hard to understand and appreciate part two. And you'll see this. I'm going to run into some trouble here. You'll, you'll soon see why. So the Gemara in, in Meseches Yoma, on page 23, says this, and I'm quoting. Rava says, Kol hamavir al-midotav, anybody who, and I'll translate it very literally and then I'll explain. Literally, mavir means to pass over. Anybody who passes over his own midot, his own measures. And this means you're not precise or exacting about tit for tat, quid pro quo. 
somebody's bad for you? He said, oh, you're bad for me? I'll show you. <laughs> really? So you, you think you'll, you'll do A, B, and C? Oh, you wait to see who you started up with. I'll give you back an X, Y, Z. You're not going to let it hit you. You'll remember me. That, that's, that's normal. That's human nature. When people are unkind to us, we're going to be unkind back. But that's, that's not the best way to be. Because if we go beyond the call of duty and we are prepared to do what doesn't come naturally to us. Now, here it's interesting to note that the term ma'avir al-midotav, what does that mean to be ma'avir? So, so Rashi explains that there's an expression, ein ma'avirin al mitzvot. you don't pass over mitzvot. So if a mitzvah comes to hand, you do the mitzvah that comes to hand. A simple illustration of this is that it is a universal tradition that you put the hand fillin on the left side of the bag or case and the, and the head fillin on the right side. Why? Because if you pick up the head fillin, you should put them on. You don't want to pass over a mitzvah. So you don't pick them up first. You make sure you pick up the hand fillin first because you don't want to pass over a mitzvah. So ma'avir literally means to pass on something. So my reaction is a normal human reaction. When somebody's kind to you, how do you respond to them? Kindly. I mean, that's, that's human nature. Human nature is very much that so we reflect what we get. And to kind people, to good people, we, we respond in a benevolent and a kind way. And to people who are angry and frustrated, it brings out the worst from us. That's nature. But remember, nature was created by God to be transcended, not celebrated. If Hashem gave us nature, it's because He wants us to be able to engineer ourselves, to make ourselves better. So if you're ma'avir al-midotav, ma'avir then Hashem says, I won't be precise, demanding, or exacting payment from your sins. You behave inappropriately, you engender negativity. Some of it is even a punishment. A person uh, smokes a pack of cigarettes for, for, for 30 years and then has lung disease. Sorry, I don't, I don't know why God did this to me. So what, you kind of did it to yourself. Why were you smoking a pack of cigarettes? That's not a picture of good health. So the negative impact isn't a punishment, it's a natural result. The natural result of us turning our back on Hashem is Hashem turns away from us. And we disable ourselves from receiving Hashem's blessings. But when we bend ourselves out of shape or pass over the nature of things, we elicit a similar response from Hashem. What the Markle Nefesh is really telling us is that the reason you should tolerate the insults is not to be what they call in English a sucker, or in modern Hebrew they call it liot fryer, you know, like what am I, take advantage of them? That's not, that's not really what we're talking about here. There's no reason for us to be taken advantage of, per se. If you're being taken advantage of, stand up for yourself. As I shared in the previous episode, the Sefer HaChinuch in Mitzvah 338 says very clearly that a person has every right to save himself from shame and embarrassment. And he says, we can see this because the Torah tells us that if somebody is coming with baleful intent, that you don't have to wait until he strikes. You can choose the moment of engagement. 
at a time that's more advantageous. You don't have to respond or react. You can do what's necessary for self-defense. He says, you're allowed to save yourself from this. That's actually not the point. The point would be, somebody did something. It's past tense. They never apologized. Okay. But they're not doing anything. I'm not in danger. I'm not inviting insults. I was insulted. It's a past tense thing. So I can either say, oh, I was insulted, and I'll, I'll respond in kind. Or I can say, you know what? Life's too short. And that, that's my natural way of responding, but I'm not going to do that. And when you do that, you open up a new portal of blessing for yourself from Hashem. There's an amazing story that was making its way around the Internet a couple of years back. Some of you may not have seen it because actually <laughs> it was, it's a story that's told in Yiddish. So there's this, this fellow in Yerushalayim who has these uh, like inspirational stories in Yiddish. And he, he, he claims that it's a true story. He knows the story with whom it happened. That there was a wedding during the COVID period and the police shut the wedding down and they separated the bride and groom. It was, it was awful. They separated like for the, the whole, that they had a terrible, like, first night of the wedding, they were together, they were in a prison cell. It was terrible, terrible. And months later, there was this very eligible bachelor who was getting all kinds of calls, and all the calls stopped. All the calls stopped, and he began to do some soul searching. He was the one who called the police. He was unnerved by what was going on. He called the police. So he went to his Rosh uh, Hashiva, whatever it is, and told him what happened. The guy says, you, you did a terrible thing, and you need to ask forgiveness. You caused so much pain for a chassan kala. So, so the person goes, and he asks forgiveness. And, and the bride's like, I'm never going to forgive that guy. I'll, I'll never forget the, the suffering, the humiliation, the disgrace. I'm not getting into the whole COVID, yes, no. Let's, 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 let's leave in the past in the past. But she says, I can't forgive him. I can't forgive him. And he starts pleading. He says, you need to like." I need to move on to my life. Clearly, God is preventing me from, from, from my blessings. And I, she can't, she refuses. She says, I, I, I just, I can't get over the pain and hurt. And various rabbis and mentors spoke to the Chassan Kala and pleaded with them to try to find it within them themselves to, to forgive. And eventually, eventually, the Chassan Kala found it within themselves to forgive this person. Very difficult. Very, very painful, very difficult for them. And they really, really forgave him. And this guy who was forgiven found the shidduch. Like, life came together for him suddenly. And a little while later, this young couple was in a devastating accident, automobile accident, and they walked away unscathed. And, like, the police couldn't understand how they got out of that car. And, and the rabbi is saying, this is what the Gemara says. You bend yourself out of shape, Hashem bends himself out of shape. Powerful stuff. So, could you agree with that? Well, it doesn't sound so crazy anymore. No. Ah. Oh, so this is, a, this is a, that's, a, that's, that's like, again, we're, we're really recapping, but I think this is, this is extremely important. I just want to mention, I see there's a lot, lots of people online from different places around the world, and that's very nice. Um, if, you're, if you're watching on Facebook, if you come over to YouTube, then you'll have an opportunity to ask questions because I do check the live chat. Even Mr. Franchico is here. <laughs> hey, Franchico. All right.
Now, up until now, up until now, what are these detractors? What are these adversaries doing? The answer is they are shaming, embarrassing, causing you discomfort. But you know what they say? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but names can never hurt me. Now, we know that that's not really so true, and people can be very hurt by unkind and, and mean words. But nonetheless, as the Pas Lechem says in his commentary on this portion of the Chavis Alavavas of Rabbeinu Bachai's words, he says that Yispel Cher Pasam is, and I'm quoting, Mashaheim Machorfim Oto Bidvarim. This is about words, unkind words, mean words, embarrassment, shame. Things that bother you. We're, we're human, we get offended. So what happens, though, if somebody actually does something bad to you? And I want to reiterate, it's not a question of somebody is about to take a punch and you say, oh, I'd, sure, I'd love a black eye. That's, you know, that's what the doctor ordered. It must be that Hashem wants. No, <laughs> that's ridiculous. We, we already demonstrated that very clearly from the words of the Sefer HaChinuch, that is not the Jewish attitude or approach. Turning your cheek is in the Jewish view, a very bad idea and a very foolish thing to do. Somebody who comes to kill you, you draw first blood. Go on an offensive defense. Don't wait until first blood is drawn. The paradigm that the Torah would endorse was Israel's response in 1967, not Israel's reaction in 1973. But that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about whether you're allowed to defend yourself. We're talking about somebody who actually harmed you. So when they shame me and embarrass me, okay, so they call me names. Big deal. I get over it. I'm, you know, I'm going to be my role myself. I suffered a great deal of humiliation. I was painful. And I'm just going to, I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on and I'm, I'm not going to allow that to bring me down. And, and as the Gemara says in Yoma, Rava says, you were doing yourself the greatest favor. Well, like, like this story that I told from Melech Biederman, who tells in Yiddish. He says he, it's a real story. He knows the story. This is like <laughs> not a story from antiquity, not a story from the, the 17th century. It's a story from like two years ago. It's a real story from our time. But what if we're talking about somebody who actually harmed you? Maybe they harmed your business interest. They actually harmed your business. I mean, like, you, you, you know, dollars and cents, they, they ruined your reputation. And your customer base dried up. People, they're not, they're not coming to your store anymore. They ruined your reputation. And they did it with baleful intent. They, 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 they physically harmed you. They damaged your property. I, I don't know. They damaged you in a bodily sense. How do, you, how do you deal with that? How do you not get sucked into this vortex of negativity? And, you know, it's a cliche. They say when you hold a grudge, you're like letting somebody live rent-free in your head. It's, it's a nice cliche, but you know what? We're human, and human beings get offended. It's, it's, it's not human never to get offended. <laughs> like, 
it's okay to be human. That's how God created us. So how do we deal with this? And, and, and I think here is where we get into perhaps the greatest challenge in trying to understand the expectation that Rabbeinu Bechaya places upon us because it seems, it seems over the top. Continuing further, if you want to follow along in the Kiha tradition, we would now be on page 162. 162. So what do you do if somebody is a cause for harm? Somebody causes you harm. Be successful. They wanted to cause you harm. They threatened they would cause you harm. They caused you harm. How do you respond? We all deal with this. Rabbeinu Bachaya says, swallow hard. It was tough. He says, Yachshav Aleihem Toiv. Think positively of them. Think good about them. Think good about them. <laughs> really? And he says, yeah, think good about them. The Yachshay, this Atzman. You should, you should question yourself. You should be suspect of your own inappropriateness. Maisov Beroya Hakto Maisov Eitzel Elakov. Things that previously happened, previous failings, which would be the cause of this suffering, misfortune. In other words, the, the, the wrongful things that you previously did are what's allowing for this harm to happen. It sounds crazy. It sounds crazy. I mean, let, let's, let's be honest. I mean, somebody's harming me, and it's my fault. Sounds like sugar. What is Rabbeinu Bechaya saying? So let's, let's, um, let's look at what some of the Mepharshim say. And, and this is going to be, um, this, this is gonna be actually a, a very, very deep. The balance of the class is going to be very deep. We're going to go into some very, very profound theology. We're going to have to. Rabbeinu Bechai is coming from a certain place. He's actually telling you what to do. He's not explaining it to you at all. And we have to struggle to understand the pshat. Why, why is he saying this? I think that after we finish going through the many books that are in front of me, that you will have an understanding and an appreciation of, of what he suggests. So I'm going to start off with the words of the Tov Halavanon who says something very interesting. And if he will be the cause for harm, he says, what he means to say is, not that he will be the cause of harm. Oh, he might be the cause of harm. Hey, you know, if he's going to harm me, like, sure. You know, I'd love a black eye. See what, see what you can do to me. I mean, uh, this, this is wonderful. Just what Hashem has ordained for me. No, no, that, that's, that's a mistake. That's not what he's saying. We're talking about post-ipso facto. We're not speaking about self-defense. We're talking about something in the past. Something happened. Something was done. You have every right, in fact, every obligation 
to take natural means to defend yourself. But here something was done. It's a question of forgiveness. It's a question of how do I deal with this? How do I deal with these adversarial confrontations with the harm that was done in the past? Shahasoyna Sibev. Shahasoyna Sibev. The enemy caused, the adversary caused this. This is bitter. It hurts. The Paslechem, another one of the important commentaries on the Chavis Alavavis, the Shara Betochen, he says like this. It's important to zero in on the precise language that's used. He doesn't say the imhizikoi. He doesn't say, and what if he harmed? He says, what if he's the cause of harm? Why does he add that word? You wanted to make a bigger book, add some extra words in? So the Paslechem says, the truth is, he is only a cause. He's a bridge. He's not why it happened. The harm itself is not from this person. Such and such happened. Why? Because that person did it? No. Such and such happened because it was ordained to happen. That person was the cause. He was the mechanism in Hashem's hands for it to happen. Very important. This is the beginning of, of understanding this. It starts with we have to view the harm that was caused to us, not the harm that was inflicted. No person can harm us. A person can cause the harm. He was the cause. So imagine that the harm could come for a variety of ways. You were the cause. You were the cause. I'm angry at you. I'm... Uh, hurt, I'm offended, I, I want to get revenge, okay, the Hashem says don't get revenge, but I, 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 I hate you, I hate, I, hate, I hate what you did. That's not a betachan way to deal with it. Why? Because you have to look at it that this came from God. This is very difficult to understand. A person harms you, and you say, oh, God did that. No, a person did that. So the Paslechem says, do yourself a favor, he says. Open a book of Tanakh. Open the book of Shmuel. And take a look and see how David HaMelech, how King David responds to a situation where somebody is harming him. Now, I'm going to point out that what we're about to read about the harm that's caused to David Amelech, it sounds more like just words. We'll talk about that soon. It's, it's actually not, he actually doesn't, this guy doesn't succeed in harming anybody. Okay, so let me, let me uh, let's go right into it. We're gonna, we're gonna go back a couple of thousand years now. I'm going to the days of King David. And David Amelech has endless challenges. He did not have an easy life. Some of the challenges were from external sources, and some of his most painful challenges were from within, from his own family. One of the worst and most painful circumstances King David ever dealt with was a son whose name was Avshalom. 
Avshalom, seeks to usurp the throne from his own father. And David Melech loves his son, but it's a very complicated relationship. Very complicated. It's always been complicated. He, he knows that Avshalom is unruly and he can't be restrained. And, and this is a problem. And Avshalom doesn't decide to become, you know, king overnight, like spontaneously. But he, he calculates and he sows the seeds of rebellion against his own father. And eventually, David HaMelech has to flee from Avshalom in mourning and disgrace. It's a very sad day in King David's life. You know, talk about shame, talk about embarrassment. You take, you take a look in the book of Shmuel Beis. Okay, so this is, the, this is the second book of Samuel. It's the 16th chapter. And wh what we see here is that David HaMelech comes to a place called Bachurim. And there's a man there. He's from the house of King Saul, from the family of Saul. Now, Saul's family is not very happy. Their hero, Saul, was not the king, and he ended up getting killed, and now David Melech is the king. He's from, Shimi is from the tribe of Binyamin, of course. And Shimi is the son of Gera. Now, by the way, Shimi shows up many, many years later in an extremely important canonical book, which is called the Scroll of Esther, because he is the ancestor of Mordechai and Esther. He's from the house of David So, so Shimi, he's cursing David. As David comes out, he's cursing David. He didn't just uh, spew curses and invective. He also began to throw stones at David And he began to throw, to try to stone the servants of David. Now, the Mepharshim tell us he wasn't doing this to try to cause harm. It's a stupid thing to do, you know. What one guy can't take on a whole crowd. <laughs> throw stones and throw stones back. His, 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 um, his, the point of his throwing stones was this was his way of expressing his disdain, his hatred, his contempt for David Melech. So Shimi curses. He curses David. He says, Tsei Tsei, Isha Domin. He says, Go away, you bloody man. Violent murderer. You wicked man. He says, Now you're getting your up and comings. This is what you deserve. You, you are the one who caused King Saul to come down. You brought down his kingdom. You rebelled. And now you're getting your just desserts. Now talk about like pouring salt into somebody's wounds. It's almost impossible for us to fathom the pain that David HaMelech must feel in having to flee before his own son. I mean, you first have to be a king <laughs> and, and know what that means. And then, and then to be faced with a rebellion from within your own son is leading a rebellion to undermine, ultimately to destroy you. And this painful, shameful situation a person comes along and he says, you deserve this. 
back at you. Imagine how David must have felt. He says, God is getting you back. God is getting you back. And may God give the kingdom to Avshalom just so you can suffer. You're the king of Israel. And you hear these words. It's pretty intense, huh? So we've all been offended. We've all been ashamed, embarrassed. I don't think any of us can claim to be this hurt as David HaMelech is right now. Now David HaMelech as a, a chief of staff, a general with him. His name is Avishai ben Suriya. He's very, very loyal to David. And he says to King David, Why are we allowing this dead dog to open the mouth of God against the king? What's going on here? Why are you allowing this, he says. So he asks the king permission. He says, I want to just cross over because like he's on the other mountain or something, a hill. He says, I, I want to I go and take care of the problem at the source. Right? He says, um, I can simply remove his head, conveniently remove his head from the shoulder. It's very hard to curse when your head's off your shoulder. So what is David saying? This is unbelievable. The king says, The king says, What is there between me and you, sons of Tzuriya? In other words, like, why do we look at this so differently? How come I see it so differently than you? Says to the officer. He says, and th this is just unbelievable. He says, "V'chi Hashem was David. God told him to curse me. This is not from Shimi. This is from God." Umi madua asisa king. Then who can say why? Why did you? Why did you do so? Like, I'm not going to stop him. I mean, clearly. There must be some divine reason why I show up right here and this man confronts me and he curses me and he causes me such grief and such pain. This, this is clearly an act of God. So why would you stop this? This is ongoing. He's in the middle of cursing. I find it very, very interesting, almost hard to understand, why the Paslechem only mentions this verse after the words if he's a cause for harm. Because the bad words were the first, that was part one. This is only now in Best of Enemies. I'll soon sh share with you some interesting things that may maybe could help us understand this. It's actually hard to understand. Let me tell you what the Mitzudah's David says. He says, what David HaMelech meant to say is, Ma What is this hatred? What is this, this acrimony? He says, what, what did I do to you? What did you do to me? Like, like well, why would you even say things like this? 
the fact that he's cursing this way, God told him to curse. God gave him this idea in his head. He didn't get it out of nowhere. It's like this is an act of God. I, I, I need to suffer on account of my sins now. That's what David Amalek says. Haloi, who shluchoi shall mock him? He's a messenger of God. Does he have to say, I need to suffer? Well, he, he's suffering. He's got to be suffering now. And he says he's a messenger from God. So, he's questioning what he did. Is that suffering? So, David Amalek is saying, I, I must deserve this. He's saying, I must deserve this. Radak puts it this way. God told him to curse. You know, by the way, Shimi is going to pay with his life later on. Because when you speak like this to the king, the halacha is that you forfeit your life. And he is going to pay with his life. So what does it mean God told him? Why does he pay with his life later? <laughs> Did God really tell him? What is he, a prophet? God said to him, curse David now. So Radak clarifies, it doesn't mean God told him. It's as if God told him, Kalos David. It's like God must want this grief, this, this, this discomfort for me. God gave him the, 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 the gall, the courage, the gumption to curse the king this way. It, it, it's got to come from a higher place. No normal person could do this. Like he knows he's going to pay with his life. He knows, he knows he's going to die because of this. You've got to be crazy. What's motivating him? So David Melch sees within this some kind of like divine event. This is not simple stuff. It's really very hard to understand what what happened here. But this is this is this is how the Pas Lechem says. He says, if you want to understand what Abinu Bachai just said, then you take a look at David Melch and see what David Melch did. That sets the stage. That gives us kind of Kind of an idea. Here's something interesting. It's similar from the Sefer Hasidim. This is from Rabbi Yehuda HaChassid in the, in the 11th century, 12th century. The first Hasidic movement. In Sefer Hasidim, entry 183, he he, he shares a story. He says, There was a person who was shaming and causing pain to a wise individual. Now, usually in Torah, when we use the term wise, especially when it was used in the Middle Ages, it meant somebody who was extremely pious and righteous. Like, like, like a, you know, like a tzaddik. But Amr they said to this wise person, Kama gadol of an oisr ish. What a what how, what a what a sinful person. What a terrible sin this person must have. This person, look who this person is shaming and embarrassing. Shemitzarcha. Al 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 aloyp shaycha. He's like causing you pain. What 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 did, what did you do to deserve this? Amalei chacham. The chacham says, Eini. It's not his negligence. It's not his act of sedition against Hashem. It's This is my sins. So the people said to this wise person, I don't know, famous rabbi, teacher, they said to him, 
mitzvah lechol hamisha. It's a mitzvah for you to punish this guy. Lakavuloi. Omar Allah, he said, Imkein hayiti manish umekalo et atzmi. If I would punish him, I'm actually punishing myself. Because avonotai gormu letzar zeh. My sins have caused this pain. How's he so sure? He says, they took his cue. I don't know, we don't know who this Chacham was. But if the Sefer Chassidim is quoting him, it must have been somebody extraordinary. He says, when Yehuda is framed, Benjamin is the goblet is placed in his rucksack and they're brought back to Yosef who they think is some maniacal Egyptian dictator. They, they don't know that it's a, a ruse just to kind of bring them into a state of tshuva and to reunite the family. They don't know that. All they know is that this, this absolute maniac is tormenting them and now he's framing them. And Yehuda knows that Benjamin didn't take the goblet and, and they haven't done anything wrong. What does Yehuda say? Yehuda's words are, and this is Genesis chapter 54, verse 16. He said, He says, The Lord has found the sin of your servant. Omar Yehuda, Yehuda said, It is clear to me I haven't a shadow of the doubt that we were framed. Somebody planted the goblet. But why is this happening? Because somebody planted the goblet? Because some Egyptian monarch wants to take advantage? No, he says, Ella, It is our sins that have caused this pain. And our sages tell us that it's amazing for a man to be able to pinpoint which sin he did after 21 years. The Shvatan knew they did one thing wrong. There's nothing, it couldn't be anything else. They saw the pain of Yaakov and they didn't, were unmoved. And here the Sefer Hasidim bridges this with the story of David Amalekh. He goes from the story of Yehuda and Yosef, he goes to the story of David. And he says, when Shimi cursed David, David said, Hanichuli, Hanicholo, pardon, let him leave him. Let, let him curse. Let him curse. Because my sins have caused this. What, what was David Melech saying? Sefer Chesidim gives a very interesting insight here. So there's a whole sordid story. There was a man whose name was Amnon. He's the son of David. And sickeningly, he rapes his half-sister. Her name is Tamar. That's our Shalom sister. And he said, Avshalom only rebelled in his father's house and abused David's wife to avenge what happened to his sister. And David Amalek says, I, I must be guilty for this. I didn't I didn't run a, a more modest outfit. I, 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 somehow I failed as a father. Now I found it very, very interesting that the Sefer Hasidim puts the story of Yehuda next to the story of Yosef. Because 
in, on, on next story of, of, of David. Because in the story of David, it's only words. But in the story of, of Yehuda, Binyamin is fraying. And, he, and he's going to be taken as a slave. And Yehuda is arguing that he should be taken as a slave instead. Right? So this is my question. What bothered me is how, how the, the Paslechem is linking the story of David HaMelech, but that was only words, and now we're talking about action. But, but Yehuda HaChassid also seemed to view the story of David HaMelech with Shimi not as just words. It was more than just words. This was actually, he damaged. He, you know, when the king is spoken to in this fashion, his reputation is damaged. He, he's not the same king. It wasn't just words. It wasn't just a, a bad feeling. He, he actually did something to tarnish the crown of Dovna Melech. He, he actually damaged it. You know, damaging reputation is not just words. Somebody damages your reputation. You, you have a bad reputation. And it's, you know, you're saying, this is not fair. I don't deserve a bad reputation. I didn't do anything wrong. And my reputation was, is being ruined here. I'm being framed as the bad guy. So David's being framed as a bag, and David HaMelech says, this couldn't be happening if Hashem didn't want it to happen. This is, this is very heady stuff. This is, not, this, is, this is based on an extraordinary level of trust and faith in Hashem. But an extraordinary level of faith and trust in Hashem that you and I are expected to nurture. We are actually expected to do this. It's not beyond the purview of possibility. Certainly not something we shouldn't be at least trying to accomplish. So essentially, what we're hearing from, from the words of these Rishonim is that when something bad happens to us, instead of blaming the perpetrator, we should say, if had I not sinned, it wouldn't happen to me. I can't reiterate enough that this is not the, 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 another way of saying, turn the cheek, chas That's not the Jewish approach. Now is the question of how, how I deal with what happened. It's not happening anymore. How do I deal with what happened? Interestingly, for David HaMelech, it was what was happening, but for David HaMelech, the, the reputation that was being ruined, it was a question of more pain. It wasn't turning a cheek. It wasn't getting, he wasn't getting hit. This person was ashamed and embarrassing him. Okay. I once, I heard this from my father that um, during the First World War, so the Belzerebbe, so very, very holy man, and he took refuge in Vienna. And there was another very, very famous rabbi who was a, like a, like a, like a very fiery individual. We call him, in Hebrew, we call him a kanoi, a zealot. And he was attacking the Belzerebbe's positions on a number of things. And he, he really denigrated him. Like he went after him. And Reb Aaron of Bell didn't say a word. He's an extremely holy man. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't defend himself. He didn't, this, this person was really, really attacking him. And somebody said, Rebbe, like, you're not going to defend yourself? And he said that the attacker will tire himself out. <laughs> By not responding, he'll You'll have no wind left soon. Why would I add wind to his sails? Very interesting attitude. And whatever pain he felt, 
Who's a tzaddik? I mean, there's no question. Tzaddikim for sure do this. But we're, t- we're being told regular people have to try to do this. This is the faithful attitude. Now, if you go back to what Rabbeinu Bechaya says, Yachshav Aleim Taiv, don't look at them as evil, as bad. Look at them and say, whatever, they are a mechanism, a vehicle in God's hands, Yachshav is Atzmai. It must be that I, I have failings. And that's why this is happening to me. There's old failings. I fell short. It doesn't mean a, a big, ugly sin. If, uh, if you have a $100,000 diamond, the slightest flaw makes it plunge in value. Yeah, I have a regular diamond, so the slightest flaw is not even noticed. It makes no, no difference whatsoever. So everything is relative, as they say, depending on who you are. So what should you do then? But what do I do about this? So Ben Amchaya says, Pray to God. Do tshuva before Hashem. V'yivakash mufanov, ask him, l'chapadav v'nesav, Hashem shall forgive your sins. And he says, you know what will happen? V'az yashuvu oivav l'ahavasi. If you will go before Hashem and ask Him to atone for your sins, then this enemy will turn back away from their aggression and hostility and they'll start to love you. K'mesh omar achacham, as the wise one said, and that's how Rabbeinu B'chayi refers to Shlomo HaMelech, and he's talking about Mishlei, Proverbs. Chapter 16, verse 7. He says, Bertzois Hashem darkoi ish dam oivov yashlem itoi. He says, When Hashem favors a person's ways, then his adversaries will also make peace with him. So, like, what, what does that mean, though? Like, <laughs> what do you mean Hashem told him? What is David and Al saying? Hashem told him to curse me. Like, like, what do you mean Hashem told him? He, he, is he not responsible for his own decision? Like theologically speaking, what, what really does that even mean? So, the Alter Rebbe, in Simichof Hay, in the 25th, section of the, the f- of the fourth part of Tanya, which is called Igeres HaKodesh, the Alter Rebbe seeks to clarify a statement that's attributed to the Baal Shem Tev. And on the surface, the, the statement seemed very perplexing to people, and, and in fact it was framed as, as downright wrong, where, where Hashem says that that the Shekhinah is, is, could be, so to speak, in, 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 in the person of an evil individual. So the, the Al-Tareb says that you, it doesn't mean the Shekhinah, and he says you have to understand that the Baal Shem Tev spoke his teachings in Yiddish, and whoever wrote it in Hebrew didn't understand how the proper way to... <laughs> it's, a, it's a verbiage issue. But what, what does it mean? And, and he goes on to explain how Hashem is the ultimate cause, and Hashem is everywhere. Hashem is causing everything to happen. And the Alter Rebbe says that if you want to understand what this means, then the first thing we should stop and think about is a statement that our sages make. If a person becomes infuriated, it's as if he worshipped an idol. Anger is as bad as idolatry. That seems a little extreme. I got angry. Okay, I got angry, but like... I'm an idolater. 
says the Alter Rebbe Vatam, the reason can be understood to people who understand. When a person gets angry, he has no faith in Hashem. How dare this person do? This person? What do you think? Hashem gave you Kizur? This person? If Hashem ordained it to happen, then it comes from Hashem. If he believed this coming from God, he wouldn't be angry. So you believe that God is not omnipotent? That God is not in control? <laughs> that, that's, that's idolatry. Here becomes, here's the issue. Al-Tareb deals with the question that, that I, we're starting to precipitate. But this is a person who made a choice. It's not a tiger who attacked him, who makes no choice. It's a person who chose to do this. And the person is cursing him. Or the person is harming him financially. And the person who's perpetrating this act is going to be held accountable according to halacha. So, for example, if he stole money or damaged money, he is halachically obligated to make restitution. So he is responsible. Both the earthly or perhaps the heavenly court is going to convict him and hold him accountable for for his bad choices. The Rebbe says, Afal Pikein, nonetheless, Al Hanizek Kvar Nigzer The one who sustained the damage was going to sustain the damage regardless. This person chose to perpetrate the damage. The perpetrator will pay. The perpetrator will be held accountable for the perpetrator's choice, for his bad and evil choice. Not for the impact, but for choosing to do it. But whatever happened was ordained from on high. God has many ways of making things happen. How dare that guy give me crash into me? It's only because he was texting. He's an idiot. He did a bad thing. He endangered other people's lives. It's terrible. It's wrong. But that's not why I got fender bended. So a tree would have fallen on my car. There's many ways it would happen. What happened was supposed to happen. That person made a bad choice. They all pay for their bad choice. So, I mean, you could argue, <laughs> if we see him as merely an agent in God's hands, so then he's not, he's not obligated. The guy says, what do you want from me? God made me text God made this happen. <laughs> I'm not responsible. Can, can you, like, how do you kind of, how do you divide that? How do you say, like, you made a bad choice, you're responsible for your choice. What happened has nothing to do with you, but you made a bad choice, so why am I responsible? So the thing is that we actually can divide the two. We can divide the impact from the perpetrator. We can. Torah does. There's a difference between the act that was, that was done 
and the impact or damage that was afflicted for the person who did the wrong thing he will be held accountable and he's going to get punished for the person who was damaged that's, that's in Hashem's hands that Hashem ordained so now the Rebbe goes on to say not only this but even furthermore even at the time when the person is doing this bad deed of shaming, embarrassing, harming, etc. Who is enabling that person to exist at this moment? Hashem. <laughs> because the Baal taught us that Hashem is making everything exist at every moment. So if Hashem wouldn't allow it to happen, it couldn't happen. Hashem allowed it to happen. Can't get away from that. God, God is not uh, exonerated, so to speak. God is not removed from the picture. And here the Alter Rebbe says, where is the prime example of viewing something this way? The story of David and of Shalom. The story of Shimei. This is the meaning of what is written in the scripture. We just read this before together. Shmuel Beis, chapter 16. That it says, Ki Hashem Amar Kalo. Says Where do you see a prophecy? Where did God say? Shimi, curse David now. Elo, Daltarebbe explains. This thought that came to Shimi. Oh, look at David, the king. He's running in shame and embarrassment. I'll pour salt in his wounds. I know exactly what I'm going to do. Who put that thought in his head? It has to come Eis Hashem. And then there's Ruach Piv HaMachayek Then there's the ongoing act of creation. Hashem brings everything to existence. So Hashem is enabling Shimi to exist at this very moment. If Hashem would stop willing Shimi into existence, then He simply wouldn't be. So Hashem put the thought into Shimi's head. Then why was Shimi put to death? Because Shimi chose to act on the thought. That's very bad. Very bad. It's a big sin. He shouldn't have done that. He paid for it. But David HaMelech says the fact that Shimi made a choice, that's one thing. The fact that I right now am sustaining disgrace, suffering, and embarrassment, that's something else. And he's able to divide it to. What about the little bit of chachma that comes in for the person that sustained the damage that um, revenge? Does that come from chachma? The, 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 the feeling or desire for revenge will also come from Hashem. Yes. And what are we supposed to do with it? Kill it. <laughs> when you have that desire, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to squash it. So you can't come along. Shimmy can't come along and say, hey, hey, God told me to do this. You can't put me to death for, for shaming the king. You know, where, where do you think this idea came from? Must, I'm, I'm an agent of God. That's for David HaMelech to say. It's not for Shimi to say. Shimi made the choice. How did he say? You do the crime, you do the time. You, 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 you did it, you have to pay. But David HaMelech who sustained it has to look at it in a faith-based fashion. And this is how a Yid who loses a has to look at it. 
So the same God that's enabling the whole world to exist, that's the same God. That's what Davon HaMelech means. That's what Davon HaMelech said, V'chi Hashem Amalei. Heavy stuff. It's not, this is not easy to live with, so to speak. Rabbeinu Bachaya even says, not only, not only I should sustain this and say it comes from Hashem, but v'yachshav aleim toiv. So what? I have to think good about them? Like, what? What in the heaven does that mean? How can I think good about them? The Neda Bakaydish, of course, is very bothered by this. What do you mean, think good about them? So he says like this, and Neder Bar says a very important thing. He says, "Mikol echod All these adversaries, all these detractors, these people who covet your success and what you have, he says, "Yachshav alehem You should think good about them. He says, "Maybe, maybe they're right. I mean, I think I'm right. Who says? I think I deserve. How do I know? How do I know? How could I be so sure?" A person doesn't ever find himself guilty or wanting. We, we never think we deserve something. How do you know? So don't be so sure that you're in the right and they're in the wrong. Don't be so sure. Don't, don't be so sure. You know, there's a very interesting statement which is made by the Me'ili. In the Beis Abchira, the commentary on, on the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot. Mishnah in Pirkei Avot says, in the name of Nitai Harbeli, stay away from a bad neighbor, and so on and so forth. Don't think like, my life is charmed. Things could never go wrong. Me? <laughs> I don't deserve any bad stuff. I'm, I'm good. I'm all good. And they know from Menachem Meiri, he says something very interesting. He says, he says, Don't let your success get to your head. By the way, it happens naturally. When people are successful, it gets to their head very quickly. And they feel very high and righteous. I must be a really good person. Look at me. God has favored me. And look at you. You must be a bum. You deserve what you got, and I deserve what I got. Mishnah says, Don't be so sure. This is all from God. Things could turn around like this. People on top of the world. They think they're so high and mighty and all-powerful. Everything could turn around. This says that Me'iri is the meaning of Moshe Rabbeinu's exhortations in the 8th chapter of Deuteronomy. In verse 11 he says, Watch out. Watch out for success. Success is a very dangerous thing. Pentishkach es Hashem Melikecha, lest you forget Hashem your God. Pentoicha, Vesovata, you eat and you're sated. And that's the most dangerous time. Because you've got lots of flocks, your cattle, your sheep, everything's booming, your economy is booming. And then you become stout-hearted, arrogant. You forget. You say in your heart, I did this. I made it happen. I am the one. <laughs> it's a very dangerous place to be. Vitachshev. Sha'acha. 
You think that your success came to you by virtue of your hard work? I deserve this. I worked hard. It's my money. One very rich and arrogant fellow once told me, I deserve my caviar. I deserve my cigars. It's my money. I worked hard. I don't have to share it with anybody. It's my hard work. I deserve it. And I said to him, you know, there's a lot of people who work hard and they don't have a lot of money. He said, well, they don't deserve it. I deserve it. He says, I wouldn't be so sure. You dare, how dare you say so? I'm just not, I'm not saying Torah says, don't be so sure of yourself. The Torah says, Hashem Remember Hashem, your God. Who are they saying? God is the one who gives it to you. It's a gift. And the Bein Menachem Iri goes on to say that a person should always be thinking when he has extraordinary success, you know, maybe Hashem is paying me back for the little bit of good that I did. And in the next world, I'm going to be bankrupt. It's a possibility, you know. The Me'iri quotes the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin on page 101. The Gemara says that when Rabbi Eliezer was sick, his students came to visit him. And they, and they saw him suffering terribly. So they wept. And Rabbi Akiva was beaming. Rabbi Akiva was a, a disciple of Rabbi Eliezer ben Hurkanus. Amrulay, they said, Rabbi Akiva, <laughs> what exactly do you find so funny? This is terrible. A, a, a Rebbe is suffering. What are you guys crying about? What are we crying about? He said, We see a Sefer Torah. A Sefer Torah suffering. And we shouldn't cry. He said, that's, that's why I'm smiling. That's why it makes me jovial. Because when I see that our Rebbe, I see that his wine is not turning to vinegar. I see that his flax is not wilting. I see that his oil isn't polluted. I said, uh-oh, maybe Rebbe Leezer received his reward in this world. Now that I see that he's in pain, I know he did not receive any reward in this world. That means that his reward is intact, and that brings me joy. Now, you have to be Rabbi Akiva <laughs> to be able to look at things this way. It's very difficult. Rabbi Akiva was on a very high, very high level. And Rabbeinu Bachayi doesn't demand that a person see suffering this way. He doesn't say that. The point that I'm trying to make from this Me'iri is a person shouldn't say, I must be the good one and they must be the bad one. Who says? Who says? That? I mean, that's the way I see it. Who says I'm right? You see an example here. A person says, what do you mean? It's, it's just black and white. It's so obvious. I, I must be fantastic. I'm doing great. God must love me. Says who? We really don't know what Hashem's plan is. So therefore, for a person to be certain of themselves and, and 
incriminate those who are causing us pain because we're in the right. He says, don't be so sure. Maybe, maybe they have some good intention. Maybe it isn't as, as clear as I think it is. That's, that's I think, uh, like the first, s first step in, in, in approaching this, of, of like trying to see, and that's why I, I call this best of enemies. It's like a play on words. I mean, I, I steal popular culture names, but best of enemies, what I meant to say is best can sometimes come from my enemies. What's best for me can come from my enemies. And here, I want to tell you that what Rabbeinu Bechaya says here is actually not it's not Rabbeinu B'chaya. It's, it's, this is not an original statement. It's, it, the Zohar says this. The Zohar says this about Yosef. And the Zohar says that every single person is supposed to try to learn from it. How? Like, what, is even, what does that even mean? So in the end of the 12th chapter of Tanya, the Alter Rebbe says, he's talking about a Benini, that in-betweener. He says, the in-betweener is a person who never, ever does the wrong thing. I didn't say he doesn't have a desire to do the wrong thing. He doesn't do the wrong thing. He doesn't do the wrong thing towards Hashem. He doesn't do the wrong thing towards others. This is a person who, despite the fact that he rages inside and he feels such frustration and anger and angst, he doesn't allow himself to express that negatively. Towards somebody, towards somebody else. Doesn't even ruminate it. Pushes it out of his mind. The moment a feeling wells up in his heart, he's a some hatred, some anger at somebody, or jealousy, or kas, or anger, or kpeda, being, being, being offended, immediately, he do, I don't want to listen. Pushes it out of his mind. That's a Bainini. Now, of course, uh, a Bainini is a very, very high level. We'd love to you know, aspire to be a Bainini. But, but that's, that's what we're talking about over here. And as the Alta Rebbe articulates earlier, there's something called Moach Shalat Al Halev. The mind rules. Your mind doesn't have to rule. You don't have to like, use a tremendous amount of, of discipline to eat chocolate cake. Unless you really don't like chocolate cake. It eats, uh, eats, it, it, it eats itself naturally. You don't have to say, oh, you have to eat the chocolate. I push myself and do this. It's the right thing to do. As they say in Yiddish, es eszich. It goes naturally. How about to eat a, a bitter substance, which is a medicine, that you have to force yourself? So why do people force themselves to eat bitter, disgusting things? Because they know that if they're not going to eat this, they're going to be sick. Choose your poison. Either you're going to be sick, or you're going to eat this foul-tasting stuff, and it's going to make you better. So we all experience mind over matter. We all experience mind over heart. We say, I don't like this. It's not my natural inclination, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to exercise restraint, or I'm going to force myself to do something. Perfect, says Dalton Rebbe. So how do you manage that? Well, you know, I had a lot riding on. How'd you manage not to open your mouth and, and, and blow up at this person who just offended you? I said, well, the person's my boss, and I wasn't really interested in losing my job. Or it's my biggest customer. I think the famous story, the guy said, I, I, I went into business, I didn't have to work for anybody, and I work for my customers. 
So my biggest customer offended me and did all these things, and I shut my mouth. Why? Because my biggest customer. And the person later says, I, I, you know, you, you, you shot your mouth off. I couldn't control myself. Man, you don't want to control yourself. Of course you could control yourself. And that's exactly what Dr. Debra says. We can control ourselves. That's a choice we make. You have to choose to control yourself. So therefore, you choose to control yourself. And he says, to treat somebody kindly, to treat an adversary kindly, and to show him an endearment. But he's, he did bad things to me. Yeah, he did. Does he deserve this? No, but Hashem wants me to do this. I'm doing it as an act of subservience to Hashem, not to the person. Which means, what the Alter Rebbe says really paraphrases what Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says, Lisbel mi men nuat ketzei to tolerate to the nth degree, v'loi liches chas v'shalom, not to allow yourself anger. V'gam shaloi l'shalom le'kifol le'chas v'shalom, don't throw it back at him. People say, oh, I don't get mad, I get even. No, don't get even. Ela adrabe, on the contrary, ligmel l'chayovim t'ayvoyse. To those who are found wanting, those who are guilty, he's chayav, to give him goodness. That's exactly what Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says. Like it says in the Zohar, to learn from Yosef with his brothers. So why does the Alter Rebbe have to say to learn from Yosef with his brothers? What's, what's, what's the emphasis? What's the emphasis here? So there's a fascinating sikha from the Rebbe in Parshas Vayigash. The Rebbe explains this in a very, very unusual way. The Rebbe says, why, why the emphasis on what Yosef did? I'll read to you. This is in Lekut HaSikha Shelekei. It's on page 247. He says, Yosef told his brothers, you thought about me? You thought to harm me. You intended to harm me. Since God decided that you shouldn't not only harm me, but on the contrary, so that I would be in a position to sustain the family, the fledgling, nascent nation, Yaakov's children, the future nation of Israel, so therefore, I owe you for what you did. They had no good intentions. They didn't say, let's make Yosef into a king. We'll throw him in a pit. No, they said, let's sell him into slavery and get rid of him. But, what happened? You caused me to be in a position of power and goodness. I'm going to give you back the same thing. I'm going to give you something back. So the Rebbe here in the footnote says that the Orachayim says it's like somebody who intended to serve somebody a glass of poison and instead he gave him a glass of fine wine. So he said, oh, thank you. The wine was delicious. So, but the Rebbe says that's not enough because that would be a reason why you shouldn't be angry at him. Okay, he wanted to do. Hashem worked it out. So I'm not going to hold it against him. But here he's giving them goodness. How do you work that out? 
So the answer goes back to the 25th epistle in Tanya, and he's going to get us a Kedush. He says, Hashem And since everything Hashem does is good, therefore, he has to give them back the same goodness they were the agent, the emissary of HaKadosh Baruch Hu for goodness. So, give them goodness. Why? Because Hashem used them, the good thing to happen. Through them, a good thing happened. When a good thing happens through somebody, show appreciation for that good thing that happened. Well, I, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't think we're talking about enabling. Yosef is not enabling his brothers to sell him. This is many years later, but Yosef said, "I'm going to treat you nice." Listen to something the Rebbe wrote in a mimer. This is an edited mimer from 1956. The Rebbe says, "Why is it that we have to respect our parents?" So our, our sages tell us, and this is a, a famous statement which is made in the Gemara, that Gimel Shutfim Ba'adu. There are three partners in the creation of a human. There's a father, an av, a and a kaddish baruch And mainly, it's, I mean, God is the main partner, right? Because there are, there are men and women who are fine people, and they do their part, and it doesn't work. And we don't even know why. Like, there's nothing wrong with them. So in that case, it's not really the father and mother who gave you life. It's God who gave you life. Just because... A married couple is intimate doesn't mean there's going to be a child. So the Rebbe says, nonetheless, even though God is the main partner, Nikra Ava Aim Shutfim, they're still called partners, even though God really does this. This is the commandment in the Aseret Hadibrut Lechabdem. It says, Kabi Desavicha because they chose to get married. But who made, who made you, you get conceived? Hashem made you get conceived. But they chose to get married. And there was a man in Benazai, and he chose not to get married. And he says, I'm too interested in studying Torah. I can't do this. They chose to get married. He gives them the credit. At the end of the day, if your father or mother wouldn't have chosen to get married, you wouldn't be. So you still have that. You have to owe them. Because they have choice, just by virtue of a choice they made. Who did it? Hashem did it. So why am, I, why am I giving them honor and considering them a partner? Because they made a choice. They made a choice. And, and it gets really Orwellian almost because <laughs> but Yosef, his brothers, made a choice to do a bad thing. But something good came of it. And, and, and as such, Yosef says, I treat you in like fashion. Now here comes the big question. If, if people aren't doing this all together, God's doing everything, so why do I have to say thank you to somebody when they do something good? God's doing it. And if I'm not allowed to be angry if somebody does something bad, why am I supposed to be appreciative when somebody does something good? This seems to be like a huge contradiction. Why do you have to do something good if somebody just does something bad? No, in other words, like this. If we're, gonna, if we're, we're saying, if Rebbeinu Baha'i is telling us, don't be angry at the person, it's not him. God will deal with him. God will deal with him. You don't be angry. God is doing it. So if I'm attributing everything to God, so why is it when somebody's nice to me, I have to be appreciative? There's a sikh from the Rebbe in Chelek Zion. 
Lakuta Sikha, 7th volume, page 14. The Rebbe says like this, that when a person does something bad, they deserve to be punished. Why? Hashem did it. Val'er is a bal You chose. Why did Shimi? Why was Shimi put to death? Because he chose to curse. Oh no, God gave him the idea. Well, God gave him an idea, but he decided to act on it. And therefore he got his up and comments, his, his just deserts. So you get punished for your choice. You could have chosen not to do this damaging thing. I, Hashem, wanted this to happen. Hashem has many, many, many ways to do it. Nobody asked you to be the one. This cheshben, says the Rebbe, is negeya to the mazik, to nizik. The mazik, the person who did the damage, has to accept responsibility and culpability. But the nizik, the person who was harmed, has nothing to do with it. What happened to me has nothing to do with what you try to do. What happened to me was going to happen to me. You chose to do? That's your cheshben. That's your calculation. You have to deal with that. In other words, that's your baggage, not mine. Because the person who sustained the damage, if him is nigzer givarim, that's the way it was decreed from Hashem. And if it wouldn't be nigzer, if Hashem wouldn't decree this damage happen, it could never happen. So the bechira. When you say we have free choice, our free choice is between us and God, not between us and somebody else. We can't choose to damage somebody else. Hashem wants that. So here there's a footnote. And from the nature of this footnote, I'm pretty sure that it's a manuscript from the Rebbe. The Rebbe says in footnote 22, so why is it that when somebody does something good, we're supposed to say thank you? And the Rebbe here quotes the famous Gemara and Bavakama, which I shared numerous times in the past in this series. The Gemara and Bavakama, page 92, side B says, The wine belongs to the owner of the establishment. But I say thank you to the waiter. It's not the waiter's wine, but he delivered it. Why am I saying thank you to the waiter? Because the shliach chose. He could have chosen not to bring it. He chose to bring it to me. So I have to say thank you. And the Rebbe says this is why we have to also show honor to our parents. They chose to get married. If I wasn't supposed to exist, I wouldn't be here. I'm here because Hashem decided that I have the privilege to live. But my parents still made a choice. I, in that case, why can't I hold somebody who did something bad to me culpable and responsible also? So the Rebbe says something very interesting. The person who did something bad is held responsible. But we don't believe in vigilante justice. Who holds him responsible? Others. The difference is you have to say thank you because you received the good. So you are the one to say thank you. You are not the one to carry out the prosecution. In part, because like we learned in the Me'iri, who says you see it clearly? When somebody did something good to you, you see that with clarity. When somebody did something bad to you, you, you don't have the clarity. 
You can't decide if they're right or wrong because you have a vested interest. So the Rebbe says it's, it's not so simple. You receive good, you have to say thank you. You receive bad, that's not your job to prosecute. Either the earthly court will do that or Hashem will do that. And this is really, I think, this gives us the background to the words of Rabbeinu Bahai. This explains to us what he's saying. The Gemara says in Meseches Shabbos, Tanur Abban and our rabbis learned in Ebraisa, Ho'aluvim ve'enon elvim, that the people who is praiseworthy, the people who are shamed, but do not shame in return. Shamein cherpason ve'enim mishivim. They hear their own shame or embarrassment and they don't retort. Oisin me'ava, they'll serve Hashem out of love, v'smechem and they find joy in whatever misfortune or suffering comes their way. And about this it says, it says that for those who love Hashem, who serve Hashem in that fashion, they will be radiant like the sun. Like uh, Rashi goes on to say, in, like a, in the high summer, in the hottest of summer days, the brightest and hottest of suns, that's how you're gonna, your face is going to shine. The Marsha says that when a person is embarrassed, he blanches, or he turns green, like a greenish tinge in his face. So the person who is able to swallow that, that, that discomfort Hashem will respond mida connected mida, and instead will have a radiant face. So this is this is really what we're talking about. It's a tremendous act of avodat Hashem. None of this is easy. This is this is all very very difficult. Okay, life's difficult, or challenging. Being a benini is not easy. It seems to us almost almost impossible, but you can't say that. That's that's what Hashem expects of us. So what possible goodness could come to me out of being shamed and embarrassed? Mela with Yosef. We see something good happened. Something came, something good came. But, but this guy is shaming and embarrassed me. What could be good from that? So here's an interesting thing that Aishas Chachma says. You should know that every one of us has to do tshuva. We all are imperfect. And he says a bal tshuva has to sometimes suffer a little shame. At least lepaches shoachas be'em, maybe one hour a day. It brings a little shame. It, it, it heals us. It cleanses us. Why did David Melech accept upon himself that shame? Because David Melech wanted to do tshuva. And the, and the Reishas Chachma and Shara Tshuva says that the only way for us to be able to fully do tshuva is suffer a little bit of shame. A little bit of shame, it's a great favor. So this guy's shaming me. I'm so angry. Don't be angry at him. He meant bad. Hashem will deal with him. In fact, he might be doing you a favor. This shame that you're receiving might be cleansing you. And removing who knows what. That's a, had to say kapara. It's a great kapara. And the Rishis Chachma, Chachma quotes the Zohar. The Zohar says that sometimes a person is worthy of getting punished or suffering. So what does Hashem do? So Hashem says that the person has to do tshuva. And he says, take a look at what happened to Shimi ben Geira. From all of the tsarists that happened to David Melech, all the things that happened to David Melech till the day, and David Melech did not respond one word. Why? Because this was the Hochi Havi That was good for David. And through doing this, Ubeda Iskapru. In doing so, David Melech received atonement for his sins. He says, 
Shemaya or Shimi, Talmud Chacham Hava. Shimi was a wise man. And as a wise person, he should have known this is a really dumb thing to do. Why did a smart guy do such a dumb thing? He says, Ella, how did David look at it? He said, if Hashem put in the heart of a person who's smart to do something that stupid, it's got to be a reason for me. I, I need to suffer this. And therefore, David Melech says, I'm doing tshuva. This is for my own good. I need this embarrassment. I need this shame. And this will be for me a great favor. And this is what a Baal Tshuva needs. He goes on to say, Hear your shame and embarrassment. Do not respond. And this, in fact, it's a great favor for you. Don't be angry with the guy. So thank you very much for embarrassing me and shaming me. You did me a great favor tonight. I needed that. Oh, whatever. You and Hashem will be all. That's not my business. As far as I'm concerned, this actually turned out to be something good. And this is how, my dear friends, with betachen and Hashem, with conviction and faith and trust in Hashem, we don't have to be anxious and we don't have to eat ourselves alive and we don't have to let this eat away at us. And we can go through life with a sense of equilibrium and a sense of serenity and a sense of certainty and learn, just learn to trust in Hashem. Enjoy. Yeah, and enjoy. Because <laughs> you know what? This is... It's, it's a small pi price to pay, so to speak. And if it gives us cleansing and brings us closer to Hashem, uh, you know, it all could be worth it. Anyway, will you agree that what seemed so off the charts to you an hour and a half ago now all of a sudden makes a little more sense? So this, I think, is a little bit of, of the understanding of, of uh, the words of Rebbein Bechaya. You know, I, I, I don't, this is not a, a casual read. There's nothing about the Shara B'tachin that can be read casually. It has to be really studied properly. It took me a long time to, to figure this out. And thank you for listening. And thank you for joining. And may we all continue to, to study and to ingest and to actualize the incredible teachings and ideas of the Shara B'tachin. Because in the end, we will all live better as a result of it. And we will live better and serve Hashem better. That accelerates the process of transformation and the healing and repairing of the world. And hopefully, through our efforts in Avedis Hashem and being able to swallow our pride once in a while and get past the narishkeit and the, and, the, and, the, and the silliness, we will come closer to the era of Mashiach ben Heira ubi Amenu Amen. Again, thank you everybody for joining and have a wonderful evening. Can I ask one question? So you have the suffering. And then you have the thank you. So is it in succession? You can't say thank you with the suffering.